and you're probably already hearing it in the news, the FBI came after me and took my phone. They surrounded me at a Hardee's and uh, took my phone. That's terrible, Mike Lindell. A Hardee's? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. They're the worst. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Groves, KSO, Eugene's, KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe for you every day on some very fine internet affiliates, including the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Listener Ron in L.A. emails me today via bradcast at bradblog.com to say in part, quote, Is it just me or is there maybe just an itsy bitsy teeny tiny beam of light kind of sort of maybe coming in through the cracks in the prison walls? Well, uh, yes, Ron, there is. Of course, you know, uh, political talk radio is meant to outrage listeners. The more outraged they are, the more apparently successful the political talk radio show is and the more money the host makes. Well, obviously, we don't roll that way on the broadcast. Especially because, as Ron suggests, there actually is quite a bit of encouraging news today. Sorry about that. Hi, Des. Uh, but I have I have figured this out, Desi Doyen. Uh, uh-huh. Those who tune in in hopes of being outraged and then they hear all of this encouraging news, well, that will no doubt be an outrage to them. So you see, we get them coming and going that uh, way. We can, they so, can always find something to be outraged there about. There you go. You're welcome. And, of course, welcome to the broadcast. Also, uh, if you are uh, outraged at the lack of stories that outrage you today... Don't worry, there is always Desi Doyen and her Green News report coming up a little bit later. See, you needn't have worried. Also, if time allows today, we finally found the voter fraud. 
But let's start with uh, a story that should certainly outrage those who really want to be outraged uh, while helping normal people to feel a little bit you know, closer to normal again. President Joe Biden's popularity improved substantially from his lowest point this summer with a sharp nearly 10-point bump. In his approval rating since mid-July, that according to a poll, a new poll from the Associated Press and the NORC Center for Public Affairs Research. Support for Biden recovered from a low of 36 percent in July to 45 percent this week, driven in large part by a rebound in support from Democrats just two months before the November midterm elections. During a few bleak summer months, AP writes, when gasoline prices peaked and lawmakers appeared deadlocked, the Democrats faced the possibility of a blowout against Republicans. Their outlook, however, appears better after notching a string of legislative successes that left more Americans ready to judge the Democratic president on his preferred terms. Quote, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. So... Donald Trump. Anyway, the president's approval rating still remains underwater with 53 percent of U.S. adults disapproving of of him still. But the polls suggest Biden and his fellow Democrats are gaining momentum right as generating voter enthusiasm and turnout takes precedence. Also helping average gas prices have tumbled 26 percent since June. Reducing the uh, pressure somewhat on family budgets, even if uh, inflation remains high. Congress also passed a pair of landmark bills in the past month that could shape the economy and reduce carbon emissions. Republicans have also faced resistance, of course, since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Oh, did they? Hadn't heard. And, of course, it's protections for privacy rights and reproductive freedoms. And Biden is openly and mostly accurately casting former President Donald Trump as a fundamental threat to democracy. I say mostly because, frankly, Joe Biden is still very politely underplaying just how much of a threat that Donald Trump is to the Republican, how much Republicans Uh, The majority of their party, no, not a minority, as uh, Biden recently suggested, but a majority of their party have been taken in and brain poisoned by the lies from Donald Trump and the right wing media that they all watch. Interviews suggest a big reason for Biden's rebound is the reemergence of Trump on the national stage. Oh, well, welcome back. Causing voters such as... <laughs> Did he ever leave? Uh, yeah, well, no. Uh, but uh, causing voters such as Stephen Jablonski, who labeled Biden as okay, to say that voting Democratic is a must for the nation's survival. Well done, Mr. Jablonski. You have it correct. Jablonski, a retired music professor from Connecticut, said the country has a political virus by the name of Donald Trump. We have a man who is psychotic and seems to have no concern for law and order and democracy. The Republican Party has gone to a place that is so unattractive and so dangerous. This coming election in November could be the last election we ever have. 
Well said, Mr. Jablonski. Guessing he must be a broadcast listener. Uh, <laughs> I, I, frankly, I wish he was exaggerating. He is not exaggerating, which anyone who, who knows about the upcoming case, for example, at the U.S. Supreme Court coming up in October, it'll be heard, called Moore v. Harper regarding the so-called independent state legislature theory. Anyone who's familiar with that should know by now that, yeah, this really could be the last election we ever have. In short, that case, uh, depending on how the stolen, packed and corrupt Supreme Court rules could allow the uh, GOP controlled state legislatures in battleground states across the country to simply decide who they want to be the next president. Voters be damned. It's all up to the state legislature. It's right there in the U.S. Constitution say the supporters of this independent state legislature theory. Uh, so I cannot underscore enough how important it is to support Democrats in November, not because I'm interested in supporting their party, but I'm interested in supporting democracy itself. And that is the way we unfortunately right now have to do it. So in still more outrageous news today, I'm sure you'll be infuriated by this. U.S. retail sales unexpectedly rebounded in August as Americans ramped up purchases of motor vehicles and dined out more amid lower gas prices. Moreover, consumer spending is likely to remain supported by persistent strength in the labor market, with other data on Thursday showing the number of people filing new claims for unemployment benefits last week fell to the lowest level in more than three months. And frankly, unemployment levels were already at or near the lowest that they have been in 50 years, half a century according to the new data from the federal government. Sounds terrible, doesn't it? Retail sales increased 0.3% last month, increased last month, according to the Commerce Department on Thursday. But it is not all great news because these data are among the last batch of reports that are released before the Fed's policy meeting next Wednesday. And they are seen as another sign that the economy, at least as Reuters sees, uh, sees it, could tolerate higher interest rates as the Fed tightens monetary policy to try and fight high inflation. Retail sales are being supported by a tight labor market, however. That is generating strong wage growth. That seems like a good thing, but apparently we can't have that. As Chris Rupke, chief U.S. economist at Forward Bonds in New York, observed, quote, Demands appear, demand appears to be slowing this quarter, but job losses uh, look modest at this point. That means the storm clouds of recession have blown further offshore, and that will likely convince Fed officials to keep their foot even harder on the brakes. So, yes, the Fed is expected to further increase interest rates, therefore, to slow down inflation. So with the Fed, with the, uh, Fed trying to control inflation, good economic news can actually 
incredibly enough, be bad economic news. Go figure. Heads we lose, tails we lose, I guess. Well, it's just the way that the Fed approaches the economy with the dull and kludgy tools that they have. That said, though inflation remains a headache, it is unlikely becoming entrenched, according to Reuters, with a separate separate report from the Labor Department on Thursday showing import prices declining for a second straight month thanks to lower commodity prices and a strong dollar. Also, sales at service stations, in other words, gas sales, tumbled 4.2% last month. And receipts at auto dealerships, car purchases increased by 2.8%. Sales at clothing and general merchandise stores also increased solidly. And supply chain constraints and price pressures appear to be easing, all of which is a positive sign for manufacturing. Despite hand-wringing about a possible recession next year due to higher borrowing costs with the increase of rates, there has not been a surge in layoffs at all so far. Economists say that's because companies are hoarding workers after experiencing difficulties hiring in the past year as the COVID-19 pandemic forced some people out of the workforce. There were 11.2 million job openings openings at the end of July with two jobs available for every employed person, for every unemployed person. Again, sounds awful, doesn't it? Impeach. Of course, the uh, big news affecting the economy between now and the critical midterm elections in less than eight weeks is, of course, what didn't happen or what appears to not be happening. Thanks once again to some apparently very smart work by the Biden administration overnight, literally on Wednesday night and into Thursday morning, hopefully to help avoid what would have amounted to a $2 billion a day hit to the economy, which folks in right-wing media, frankly, were literally rooting for on Wednesday. Yes, they were. It was kind of disgusting. The the White House brokered a tentative deal to avoid a rail strike that threatened major disruptions across the U.S. with freight workers securing a key demand under its terms, President Joe Biden said on Thursday. The agreement, as NBC reports, highlights the labor movement's growing influence under an administration that has cast itself as a staunch ally of labor and comes after business groups and political officials warned that a strike would disrupt passenger services and cripple supply chains. Under the deal, which next goes to a vote among members of the nation's two largest freight unions, employees, uh, according to union leaders in a statement, will, for the first time, be able to take unpaid time off work for routine preventative medical care. You know, a visit to the doctor. They're not asking to be paid for these days off to visit a doctor. They said, you don't have to pay us, but please let us go to the doctor. Without firing us. There will also be exemptions from attendance policies for hospitalizations and surgical procedures. Very thoughtful. This is what they had to negotiate. This is what the White House had to uh, come in and help uh, labor uh, workers get. Uh, And workers will also gain an additional paid personal day. Uh, One of them each year 
one additional paid personal day without fear of discipline. The unpaid time off for routine doctor's appointments and medical procedures is a key concession that address some of the union's top concerns about working conditions. Under the current system, at BNSF and Union Pacific, <clears throat> two of the uh, largest uh, train companies, workers received a set of a set number of points, and then they lose points if they have to take time off. If workers use up all their points, they could be disciplined or even fired. The two unions that threatened to strike hailed the tentative agreement, which also includes a 24% compound wage increase over its five-year term, though that had already been agreed to, that uh, 24. So this was not about the wage increases. This was pretty much entirely about, you know, Having an unpaid day off. Yeah, it was not about wages. It was not about health care. It was about having decent, humane working conditions. Earlier this summer, the Biden administration temporarily averted a strike after convening a three person board to study the issue and to freeze negotiations that that panel recommended last month that workers be given those raises amounting to a 24 percent increase ending in uh, over five over five years with a 14 percent raise backdated to 2020 to be made available immediately. While rail operators had already agreed to those comp to those uh, compensation changes before Wednesday's talk, that key sticking point remained attendance policies that workers said made taking planned days off nearly impossible. Rail workers, as we discussed a little bit on yesterday's show, are on call 24-7 year-round. They're allotted time off only after being called to a number of consecutive on-call shifts. Unplanned issues like doctor's appointments have sometimes put workers on disciplinary paths leading to dismissal. Railroads have cut their labor forces in recent years, running trains with even fewer personnel and exacerbating the burden on workers while company profit margins have risen significantly. So again, got to underscore, not only was this all about working conditions and please let us go to a doctor. But that is what uh, these companies, these railroad companies were willing to let happen. We're willing to lose two billion dollars a day on the economy in order to prevent. Yes. Uh, Aaron Davis, who's a staff writer at Motherboard, and he's been reporting on the railroad industry layoffs for years now. He said, if you're looking for one takeaway lesson from this tentative freight rail agreement, it is that the venture capitalists who own freight rail companies were happy to kneecap the U.S. economy rather than allow workers a few days a month with their families. A labor union source told NBC News that getting rail carriers to negotiate on attendance policies turned out to be a significant breakthrough. That appears to be the issue that was worked out by the White House literally through overnight negotiations led by Joe Biden's labor secretary, Marty Walsh. Here was the president announcing the good news breakthrough on the White House lawn early on Thursday. This agreement is a big win for America. And this is a win for tens of thousands of rail workers and for their dignity and the dignity of their work. It's a recognition of that. During these early, dark, uncertain days of the pandemic, they showed up 
so every American could keep going. And because of the labor agreement, those rail workers will get better pay, a 24% wage increase over the next five years, improved working conditions, peace of mind around their health care by capping the cost that workers will have to pay. And it's about the right to go to a doctor or stay healthy and make sure you're able to have the care you can afford. It's all part of this agreement. They earned and deserve these benefits. With this agreement, railroad companies will be able to retain and recruit workers. This agreement is validation, validation of what I've always believed. Unions and management can work together, can work together for the benefit of everyone. With unemployment still near record lows and signs of progress and lowering costs, this agreement allows us to continue to rebuild a better America with an economy that truly works for working people and their families. Today is a win, and I mean it sincerely, a win for America. President Biden, who has vowed to be the most pro-labor president in U.S. history, has championed workers' rights throughout his first two years in the White House. For example, he created a task force to protect employees' rights, and he's worked to undo rollbacks of worker protections under the Trump administration. After some misgivings last year, unions have strongly supported the president, who has, in fact, stepped up for labor big time, according to union experts and labor historians that we've spoken to. Well, now members of all 12 railroad unions will have to vote on these uh, details of this on these uh, uh, these deals in this new plan. Already one union rejected a deal on Wednesday that was based closely on the presidential emergency board's recommendations. But two other unions approved similar deals. Uh, the latest concessions, we will see. It is hoped that they will uh, help secure the support of the union that had rejected that deal. We shall see, but it's undoubtedly encouraging news, hopefully preventing what would have been undoubtedly terrible news for the economy and for the American people, certainly for Democrats, just weeks ahead of perhaps the most critical midterm elections in our nation's history. Speaking of, let's take a quick break and we will come back with some encouraging accountability news for the uh, former president and some good news on election fraud from 2020, because it seems we have finally found some. So that and uh, and more outrage, including Desi's Green News Report. That's <laughs> all ahead today. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the broadcast. <laughs> The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com/donate. That's bradblog.com/donate. And thanks. Autumn in New York. Why does it seem so inviting? Oh, I know why it seems so inviting. Because maybe that's when Donald Trump will be uh, served with a lawsuit that could shut down his entire business. I don't know. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I know it's not autumn yet, but... Well, we can always hope. It's so inviting. The New York Attorney General's office has apparently rebuffed an offer from Donald Trump's lawyers to settle 
A civil investigation into the former president and his family's real estate business, according to the New York Times on Thursday, setting the stage for a lawsuit that would accuse Trump of fraud, that according to three people with knowledge of the matter. The attorney general, Letitia James, is also considering suing at least one of Mr. Trump's adult children, the people said. Ivanka, Eric, and Donald Trump Jr. have all been senior executives at Trump's company, the Trump Organization. Now, I have my guess about which of those three children could be the ones uh, named in this suit. Do you have any particular guess, Desiree? I do not. I'll let you go ahead My My money is on Eric. If I had any money. Okay. But that's, uh, I, I'll explain why in a second. The likelihood of a lawsuit grew this month after James's office rejected at least one settlement offer from Trump's lawyers, the people said. While the Trump organization for months has made overtures to the attorney general's office and the two sides could still reach a deal, there is no indication that a settlement will materialize anytime soon. James is focused on whether Trump fraudulently inflated the value of his assets and has mounted a three and a half year inquiry. Trump, who, of course, has denied all wrongdoing, derided the investigation as a politically motivated witch hunt. But apparently uh, a, a politically hunt, motivated witch hunt. He's willing to settle. Willing to over. settle. Yeah. Apparently, rather than, you know, disprove the, the, the charges against him. Uh, well, anyway, he has fired back at her, filing an unsuccessful lawsuit to block her inquiry. He called Ms. James, who is black, a racist. If the case goes to trial and Trump loses, a judge could impose financial penalties and restrict the former president's business operations in New York. They could also bring what they refer to as the death penalty for a corporation like uh, Letitia James is bringing against the uh, National Rifle, the NRA, the death penalty. She could move to shut down the entire company. It's not believed that's necessarily what she's going to do, but who knows? James is hardly the only investigation that Trump uh, is now facing. His final weeks in office are under the microscope in at least three separate criminal investigations and the FBI last month as you know searched his home and club in Florida as part of a federal investigation into his removal of well the New York Times means the his theft of thousands of pages of government documents including highly sensitive national security material from the White House Federal authorities recently seized the phones of two of his close advisors. We'll get to one of that one of those uh, stories in a moment and sent subpoenas to dozens of his aides in uh, in an inquiry into Trump's efforts to reverse his election loss. New York Times means his efforts to steal a presidential election. Also, a Georgia district attorney, that would be Fonnie Willis in Fulton County, has cast a sprawling net in an investigation into potential election interference. They mean election theft in Georgia by the former president and his allies. Just to remind you of the key, if not the complete total list, but the key legal, uh, civil and criminal investigations now closing in on Donald Trump. I know it's hard to keep up uh, to keep up with them all and keep them all straight. Also, if you've forgotten, the Trump Organization itself is already set to go on trial next month for criminal 
tax charges in Manhattan, a case that could expose the company to huge financial penalties if it is convicted. And although Trump himself was not yet accused of wrongdoing in that case, his longtime chief financial officer, Alan Weiselberg, recently pleaded guilty to participating in the tax scheme that uh, the organization is being tried for, and uh, Weisselberg has agreed to testify at the company's trial. James and Trump came face-to-face last month when the disgraced former president and disgraced businessman and disgraced human being declined to answer her questions under oath in the course of a four-hour court-ordered deposition with Trump invoking his Fifth Amendment rights more than 400 times during the session. The guy who used to say that only people who are guilty invoke the Fifth Amendment, only people in the mob uh, invokes the Fifth, not people who are innocent. And there you have it. Now, Eric Trump, who uh, who ran the company when Trump was in the White House, also invoked his Fifth Amendment rights more than 500 times during his deposition with James's office. Uh, That was back in 2020 when Donald Trump Jr. and Ivanka Trump were interviewed in hours long sessions under oath this summer. They responded to questions reportedly, which is just one of the reasons my money is actually on Eric as being the one to be named in a lawsuit by James. That's plausible. Well, thanks. I agree. <laughs> I uh, I suspect we will uh, be returning to that story at some point in the not-too-distant, perhaps this autumn, hopefully. Now, speaking of the, uh, the uh, well, of both fraud and the former president, so... We have we've covered uh, in some detail on this show the middle of the night break in of sorts. We'll call it by Mesa County, Colorado's county clerk, Tina Peters, uh, breaking into her own county's secure voting system room last year with a couple of accomplice accomplices. They turned out they uh, went into the room. They turned off the security cameras in that room, which, you know, you always do when you're doing something totally legal. They turned off the security cameras and then they made unlawful copies of sensitive voting system election management software on the from the voting system. They copied the hard drives, which were uh, that that software then was ultimately released to the public for download. While Peters just happened to be speaking on stage at Pillow Boy Mike Lindell's Goofy Cyber Symposium in South Dakota last year. Uh, supposedly on the subject of voter fraud, even though there was no evidence presented regarding voter fraud or election fraud at the symposium. Now, County Clerk uh, Tina Peters has since been arrested and charged with 10 criminal election fraud related counts related to her little adventure in the middle of the night, copying that software. And on Tuesday, as you may have heard, Pillow Boy Lindell told the Daily Beast that the FBI seized his cell phone while he was at a Hardee's restaurant, apparently in the drive through. Apparently that search warrant and a grand jury subpoena from a federal prosecutor in Colorado appears to be related to a federal investigation into the breached voting machines in Mesa County, Colorado. I know a lot of people have been, you know, talking about 
oh, Mike Lindell, his his phone was seized. He received a, a, a subpoena. It was about this Colorado case, this voting software case in Mesa County. So it seems it's not only the state that is investigating and bringing charges in that case in Colorado, but the My Pillow guy could find himself in federal trouble for helping Tina Peters before and or after she stole that software. She's facing so far state charges, but this was a federal grand jury subpoena served by the FBI. He was in Minnesota, apparently, yes. at the Hardee's. But this was a federal grand jury out of Colorado. The warrant requests, quote, all records and information on the Lindell cell phone that constitute fruits, evidence or instrumentalities of violations relating to identity theft, intentional damage to a protected computer, and conspiracy to commit the previous two crimes. The warrant cites violations, quote, involving Tina Peters, Conan James Hayes, Belinda Knisley, Sandra Brown, Sharona Bishop, Michael Lindell, and or Douglas Frank, among other co-conspirators known and unknown to the government. You may recognize some of those names, but if not, I'm sure at some point we will loop back to uh, probably most of them at some point. But the point for now here is the investigation over the Colorado election software breach now appears to include Lindell. And now Peters is currently facing state charges, whereas Lindell's subpoena originates from a federal grand jury. Lindell has repeatedly claimed to have given Peters a whole bunch of money, significant gifts, including a flight to the cyber symposium in South Dakota on his private jet, as well as campaign contributions of up to eight hundred thousand dollars which exceed Colorado's limit of $65 for gifts to public officials. Now, yes, I'd say that that does I, I'm no math whiz, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure 800000 is considerably more than $65. So the search warrant request uh requests data from his uh, from his cell phone including any information that it contains about damage to dominion voting machines information about conan james hayes he's this former surfer uh who is apparently a computer whiz and so any information that uh, relates to his alleged impersonation of a tech worker He's the dude who got a fake ID from Tina Peters to enter that room in the middle of the night in Mace County. And uh, apparently is the one who did the copying of the software. We don't know for sure because they turned off the security cameras again, which is what you do when you're totally innocent of everything. And uh, the search warrant also requests the phone's internet activity, geographical locations, etc. They took my phone, Lindell told the Daily Beast on Tuesday evening via phone. He later went on and whined about it all on his uh, Lindell TV streaming channel. Today, the FBI, uh, you're going to hear this, and you're probably already hearing it in the news, the FBI came after me and took my phone. They surrounded me at a Hardee's and uh, took my phone that I run all my business, everything with. Um, um, they could have just, what they've done is weaponize the FBI. Um, it's disgusting. 
I don't have a computer. Everything I do have that phone. Everything was on there, and uh, um, and they told me not to tell anybody. Here's an order: not to don't tell anybody. Okay, I won't. <laughs> well, I am. So, okay. So <laughs> that yes, they've weaponized the FBI to fight crime, apparently, which Terrible. is outrageous. But uh, because Lindell is a liar, what the FBI actually told him was detailed in the subpoena which he shared on the show. Uh, it reads, quote, an official criminal investigation of a suspected felony is being conducted by an agency of the U United States and a federal grand jury in the District of Colorado. As a subpoena recipient, you are not under any obligation of secrecy. However, we request that you do not disclose the existence of the subpoena for an indefinite period of time. Other than that, he's terribly brave for disclosing the subpoena. <laughs> the, uh, the Daily Beast article also notes that Lindell is uh, also tangentially linked to a similar breach of election equipment in Elbert County, Colorado, where a second county clerk claims to have made unauthorized copies of voting machines with assistance from two men who have promoted election fraud conspiracy theories on Lindell's web show. Uh, one of them has said uh, that his activist group called Cause of America is actually being funded by Lindell. Now, in truth, I didn't know about this Elbert County, Colorado. I'm sort of embarrassed. Um, <laughs> I thought I knew about all of these breaches. I'm unfamiliar with this one in Elbert County, Colorado. But I am glad to hear about it. So that's Colorado for now. Uh, we have also covered recently the caper in Republican-leaning Coffee County, Georgia, where security camera surveillance footage outside of the election board's office has now confirmed that the county's Republican uh, election director, a Republican member of its board of elections, and the county's Republican chair... A Republican Party chair led a whole bunch of folks into the facility to make unlawful copies of, yes, the county's election management system software and much more, which is what the feds are apparently investigating in Colorado. So I would be surprised if the feds weren't also now hopefully investigating the same scheme that happened in Georgia. That scheme was uncovered by our good friend Marilyn Marks of the Coalition of Good Governance. That group is suing Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to get rid of the state's touchscreen voting systems in favor of verifiable hand-marked paper ballots. The Coffee County plot was uh, covered up by uh, Secretary of State Raffensperger until Marilyn got the sort of undisputable proof from that security camera video recently. Both of the plots in Colorado and Georgia appear to have been headed up or coordinated by Donald Trump attorney Sidney Powell following the 2020 elections. So a coordinated conspiracy in Colorado and in Georgia. And now we move back to Michigan for a similar plot by these same folks uh, that we've, we've referred to what happened in Michigan once or twice. We haven't gone into great detail on it there, however, but we have some news out of Michigan there as well this week in this regard. A special prosecutor has been selected 
to lead the investigation into unauthorized access of voting tabulators in the state. Muskegon County Prosecutor D.J. Helson was appointed last week by the state's prosecuting attorneys. Uh, I'm sorry, the state's prosecuting attorneys coordinating council to investigate Michigan's Republican attorney general candidate, Matt DiPerno. Again, he is the Republicans attorney general candidate. He is now being investigated by a special prosecutor, along with eight others for allegedly tampering with voting equipment. So, yes, they also appear to have breached voting systems and copied software unlawfully after the 2020 election in Michigan as well. Once it became clear that Matt DiPerno, the Republican attorney general candidate nominee, once it became clear that he was involved in this alleged crime, well, the Democratic sitting incumbent Michigan attorney general Dana Nessel, who is now running against DiPerno in her re-election bid, she acknowledged that her office could not uh, could no longer investigate this case. It was now a conflict of interest. She asked a special prosecutor to be appointed and take over the probe, which is what has now happened. The criminal investigation of DiPerno now looms over Michigan's November 8 election as he campaigns to be the state the state's top law enforcement officer. Yeah, just want to underscore the Republican who wants to be the top law enforcement officer in Michigan is allegedly criming out there himself. Yes, he's uh, uh, criming no out. No wonder he wants to be in, uh, the head of it so he can make sure that he doesn't get prosecuted. He's hoping, oh, exactly. He's hoping to uh, win the election after having apparently committed election fraud related charges. Among the nine people under investigation are DePerno, GOP state rep Dare Rendon, uh, and Stephanie Lambert, an attorney sanctioned in federal court last year for filing a lawsuit that sought to overturn Michigan's 2020 presidential election. And for that, uh, she was sanctioned because it was such a bogus lawsuit. When asked about the investigation at last month's Republican nominating convention, DiPerno told Axios, quote, they'll never be able to prove what they're trying to prove. Come and get me, copper. That's kind of, you might as well have added that. You know, they'll never get me. Well, we will see. As voters are uh, left wondering whether there is a chance of an indictment before November 8, the um, special counsel, uh, special prosecutor uh, Hilson, uh, told the Detroit News that he's unable to predict a timeline for the investigation. Once all of the work has been done, we'll begin to uh, we'll begin the process of reviewing all the information and reviewing the best process to use in determining whether there is sufficient evidence to issue criminal charges. Hilson said, potentially again against the Republican candidate for state attorney general. All of this, which amounts to election fraud. In Michigan, in Georgia, and Colorado, all coordinated, apparently, by Sidney Powell and friends, and funded in part by Lindell on behalf of Donald Trump, all in search of election fraud in the 2020 election, which so far they have uncovered zero evidence for. But, you know, maybe they should have looked a little bit closer to home. What all of these Republicans who, you know, 
committed election fraud charges themselves in 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 breaching this uh, the voting system software. What they're all claiming is that they were looking for evidence of election fraud or voter fraud that must absolutely have taken place, that they're certain just must have been used to steal the election from Donald Trump, even though Trump was losing, by the way, I have to remind you, in every single pre-election poll. So the notion that any of these people should be surprised that he ended up being named the loser is ridiculous. But even though pretty much Every piece of voter fraud that has been discovered since 2020 has actually involved Republicans committing it. Well, it looks like we have uh, found some real insider voter fraud now. On Tuesday, Jason Schofield, the Republican Rensselaer County, New York Board of Elections Commissioner, was arrested outside of his residence by the FBI and charged with fraudulently obtaining and filing absentee ballots using the personal information of at least eight voters without their permission, according to an indictment unsealed in U.S. District Court. Well, there they go again, weaponizing the FBI to arrest people for crimes. The uh, the indictment charges that Schofield, uh, well, charges Schofield with 12 felony counts of unlawful possession and use of a means of identification. Schofield was led into court in handcuffs by three FBI agents, including two who have been pursuing the wide ranging voter fraud investigation since last year in the county. The 42 year old Schofield entered a not guilty plea. Schofield had uh, had been scheduled to play in a Republican-sponsored golf tournament on Tuesday. Aww. That was canceled. Aww. I know. The, the indictment accuses Schofield of using an online state Board of Elections portal to request absentee ballots on behalf of eight voters who had no interest in voting, did not request absentee ballots and did not know that Schofield was using their personal information to obtain the ballots. In other words, because he was an election insider who had access to this uh, to the identification for these people, he was able to use that information and then go to the county's the state's online system to fraudulently request absentee ballots in the names of those people. The indictment alleges the official quote, falsely certified that he was the person requesting the ballot when he entered the voters' names and dates of birth into the portal. The ballots that were delivered to the Rensselaer County Board of Elections were subsequently filled out and submitted in last year's primary election and in the general election and sometimes in both. The Albany Times Union reported uh, in June that Schofield had become a focus of the FBI probe that had led um, to the guilty plea earlier this year of Kimberly Ash McPherson. Who is she? Well, she's a councilwoman in the city of Troy. And yes, in case you're wondering, she's a Republican councilwoman. GOP employees at the Board of Elections also were subpoenaed over the summer to testify before a federal grand jury in Albany. Schofield's actions surfaced in the federal criminal case involving Ash McPherson, who had been on Troy's city council for seven years. She pleaded guilty in June to a felony charge 
in U.S. District Court after admitting that she had fraudulently submitted absentee ballots in last year's primary and general elections. Schofield had allegedly facilitated helping Ash McPherson obtain an absentee ballot through an online portal using the name and date of birth of a voter without, quote, lawful authority. So, sort of uh, three quick points here, at least three quick points. Yes, it is possible to obtain an absentee ballot in someone else's name if you know enough personal details about them and if you know that they are not going to vote themselves or, or, you know, request a ballot themselves. But it's really easy to do when you work inside an elections office because it's very easy to get the personal information that you would need to fraudulently request an absentee ballot. But two, even if you do, uh, stealing an election like this is, you know, it, this is ba- a ballot by ballot procedure. You have to do a whole lot of these before you change the results of any election, really. Yeah, it's kind of the dumbest way to steal an election. Quite labor intensive. That opposed to, by the way, wholesale wholesale changing of results of the elect of any election, which can be done via a computerized voting system. Uh, and then three, there are processes in place that make it difficult to pull off this kind of absentee ballot fraud at any helpful scale, at least without being caught and charged for it, as the Republicans in Rensselaer, New York, are finding out. And there could be more arrests ahead. But even as their you know, colleagues elsewhere are committing actual election fraud to prove that Democrats committed massive election fraud in 2020, apparently, as it turns out, the call was coming from inside the House all along. It's all madness, ain't it? It is. Okay, quick break, and we're back for the Not Mad at All Green News Report straight ahead on the Bradcast. <laughs> I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Yes, Desi Doyne, you had a question during yes, the break. Yes, I question did. Is... So this Elbert County, Colorado, that we didn't know about that had a breach there as well, is there concern that there's even more of these breaches in counties we just don't know about yet? Yes, of course there is. Oh, boy. There's also, uh, these folks had also referred to uh, breaches in Nevada, and oh. I don't know where and when that was. Uh, I know about you know Colorado, Michigan, and uh, uh, Georgia. And there were sort of several in each of those states. But, right. yeah, uh, I don't know about Nevada specifically yet. And, yeah, there could be other states as well. A whole okay. lot of crime in going on. <laughs> that said, no time for that. we got to get to it. Our latest Green News report. There is nothing natural about the new scale of these disasters. 
They are the price of humanity's fossil fuel addiction. New UN report warns world is heading into uncharted climate territory. August 2022 was the second hottest August ever recorded. Plus... Look, folks, uh, you know, uh, the great American road trip is going to be fully electrified. Charging stations will be up and easy to find as gas stations are now. President Biden touts historic climate bill and national EV charging network. If you say so, all of those stories and more straight ahead for Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The current fossil fuel free-for-all must end now. Yes, we must end the current fossil fuel free-for-all. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, great news. The Earth is cooling. August wasn't that hot after all. (laughs) That would not be the way that scientists would recommend looking at the new record that NASA announced this week. Oh, okay. NASA announced that August 2022 was the second hottest August on record globally. See, it's the second. Everything is getting better. Since record keeping began in the mid-1800s and in the wake of historic extreme heat waves across the entire northern hemisphere, NASA also confirmed that this was the hottest summer ever recorded globally in history, despite an ongoing La Nina event cooling the Pacific Ocean. Okay, that's bad. The UN's World Meteorological Organization has released its annual climate report in advance of the UN General Assembly in New York. The United in Science report warns that, quote, humanity's chances of avoiding the worst ravages of climate breakdown are diminishing rapidly because governments and corporations are failing to cut emissions faster. Enough. The new report confirms that extreme weather disasters are growing in frequency and intensity. There are now five times more weather-related disasters than 50 years ago. And climate-related disasters are causing $200 million in economic losses on average every day. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres cited this year's record-shattering heat waves and the biblical floods in Pakistan in sounding the alarm again. This year's United in Science report shows climate impacts heading into uncharted territories of destruction. We are way off track. Climate action is stalling on key fronts and the poorest countries and people are being hardest hit. But no country is immune. Wow, sounds like a troubling report. I'm sure the globe can't wait to not read it. The report comes on the heels of a different study finding that the world is close to triggering four critical tipping points in the climate system and warns that if the world passes the threshold of 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming above pre-industrial levels, those tipping points will unleash more rapid and, in some cases, irreversible shifts in critical ecosystems. Unfortunately, Axios reports that coal use is surging. The global energy crisis caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine and a global drought curtailing hydroelectric power has forced power providers worldwide to boost consumption of dirty emissions-intensive coal to meet electricity demand despite the damage to climate. Good God. 
But some good news, a fast transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy is not only feasible, but with the right investments will be way cheaper than maintaining current levels of fossil fuel use because of the falling cost of renewables. How much cheaper? $12 trillion cheaper by 2050, really? according to a new analysis by Oxford University. Wow, well that's $12 trillion less the fossil fuel companies are going to receive. The researchers slammed critics who falsely claim that a fast transition to clean energy is expensive. They say the faster the switch, the more money it saves. Mm-hmm. At the White House this week, President Biden and Democrats celebrated passage of the biggest climate bill in U.S. history, the Inflation Reduction Act, which invests $370 billion over 10 years in climate resilience and adaptation and shifting the nation to clean energy. And Biden also noted that all Republicans voted against the law. This year, the American people won the climate deniers lost. And on Wednesday in Michigan, Biden announced that funding for the first ever national electric vehicle charging network has been approved for 35 states to begin construction. 35 states? What about the other 15? And you can help your town fight climate change. NOAA has announced a new first-of-its-kind tool to help communities assess their exposure risk to different climate hazards like drought, heat, fires, and floods, and helps them access funding for climate resilience projects. You can find the Climate Mapping for Resilience and Adaptation portal at resilience.climate.gov. For much more on that story and all of the other ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. This is your hometown. This is your hometown. This is your hometown. Thank you very much, Desi Doyan. That's yes. resilience.climate.gov. Did yes. you go uh, to that address and, and check... Our resilience here in uh, our hometown. Did not check our resilience here in our hometown. I did check the site. It does work, but uh, I haven't delved into how Los Angeles and its 17 million something people will adjust. But yeah. I'm sure it'll all be fine. (laughs) Got to get out. Thanks very much to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We always appreciate it. If you missed any portion of today's program, it is always available for free to download anytime you like, day or night, at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate, or just hit one of those donate buttons when you're over at the Bradblog site. Uh, we stay on your public airwaves thanks only to your support. bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Bradblog. I'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Your hometown.